Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast for us here in Studio 5475. Uh, it's the eve of Thanksgiving Day recording the Regeneration Podcast with my good pal, Michael Martin. Michael, tell me, uh, hunting season for you, what's going on? Yeah, you know, we talk about how things change for me. I'm telling you what, from November 15th to the end of the month, it's like I'm in a different, I live in a different world from, from academia for sure. Yeah. They spend so much time out in the woods. Actually, I do two things. I hunt for deer and simultaneously, because they usually don't come. It's not like it's traffic. So I get a lot of time to think. And then it ends up a lot of time to write poetry. So I've been writing a lot of poetry. Oh, I was going to say, are you getting epiphanies or what are you doing with those uh, well, imaginative states? Well, what I love about it is I look forward to it all year. And I, I realize I think I look forward to it mostly because I'll be out in the woods by myself and nobody can bug me. Yeah. You know, and so because if I'm in the house trying to write poetry or whatever, millions of interruptions. Yeah. Which I and I can handle that. I wrote my whole dissertation at the kitchen table with a bunch of little kids in the house. Yeah, you have to fight through those things, that's for sure. But uh it's so nice to have time to contemplate. And that's my weekend's the, not too busy. Yeah. That kind of contemplative state of, of being is where it comes from. Absolutely. How about this with the uh the deer you've been hunting? Our guest today who joins us oh, maybe for the fourth time. Uh, if he travels to the very north of his country, James Tunney, would you see reindeer up there? Or yes. do you have to? Okay. Definitely. Have you ever seen reindeer in the wild? Uh, in uh, in Finland, I was up. I used. I, I taught a few times up in the Arctic Circle, so up there they have plenty. Fascinating, fascinating. And uh, before we signed on, Michael and James were talking about a lot of anniversaries today. Uh, jump back into your litany, James. Well, uh, today, of course, is uh, John F. Kennedy's anniversary, and it's also C.S. Lewis, and it's also Aldous Huxley. There's even a, an Irish writer, Patrick McGill, died on the same day. And for me, this this represents, I've talked to you before, I, I, about a 100-year period from 1863 to 1963. Right. I believe, uh, essentially, the new world started in, in 1963, and right. that we're in the later stages of its final crystallization. So I, I believe... There's a lot of importance, and God rest their souls as well. We remember them. Um, and C.S. Lewis is the one out of them that that has spoken to me most significantly in the last few years. And it's Be actually, because it's the anniversary of him, I saw so many quotes on Twitter today, and one was a Twitter thread. And I'll be honest, these quotes were much better. I think I've still probably haven't read C.S. Lewis deeply enough. Some of these quotes were brilliant deep and rich but go ahead i was just blown away by yeah. Lewis today myself um, actually on the topic that we're, we're we're talking about there's a relevance it, it just struck yeah. me today about the, the, the anniversary and you chose today sometimes there's a synchronicity but hopefully i can show in the kind of motif or symbols that i was thinking about that actually they're relevant or these demonstrate a kind of relevance at a higher level of some of the, the underlying symbols right hold on a second james is that John D looking over your shoulder? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's art. Uh, actually, let's again uh, use this. Describe yourself to our you know our listeners. Hopefully, many have have heard our conversations with you or have seen your work other places. But you're a you're an artist. You're a writer. Um, describe uh, your background, James. Again. Well, my professional background is law. So law, I, right? Uh, and. Primarily in, as an academic, as a, as a senior lecturer, was the, the most work I did in. 
And I, I everything I did in law was aimed at the future. So I was, in the 80s, I was studying issues like uh, mRNA. And when I came out and in the intellectual property context and information technology, uh, heavily interested in the conceptual side of those issues. I left academia uh, about 20 years ago, totally, with, with no desire to, to have any contact with it and intended to leave 100%. So I burned my bridges, boats, okay. whatever you want, uh, with the intention of focusing on, on family and uh, on spiritual development, artistic development. And that's relevant to what we're, we're talking about today, insofar as when I started off with a blank canvas and saying, well, what do I want to explore in a painting sense, which was the primary uh, commitment, uh, I came on the theme of, of the face, in 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 uh, in Western art, which we can talk about, mm -hmm. but so in the last in the context of working on art, and I was painting for a good few years, and looking after the kids, the mystical thing began to become more important and more pressing and press in on itself and and and, and force me to write about it uh, and write itself, if you like, and I I, I in the last few years I, I began to write. In fact. I wrote a novel, which uh, I'd say a, a handful of people in the world have read, but it was written before this stuff about, and I had lockdowns in London. I wrote a short novel as well, which where people were getting vaccinated, it was in the future, but they were getting vaccinated for Australian fruit bat virus before the thing happened. Uh -huh. So my instincts were right on, on, on some of these. I could see the thing coming. We can talk about that some other time. So what I'm doing, what came out of that was, to concentrate on the need for spiritual evolution as the cause of our problems and the solution. So that's the first priority. And the second one is to combat the imminent extinction of humans uh, in a kind of self-suicide mission, the move towards post-humanism, which I believe is very close. I believe yeah. we're facing the Important end. Important distinction between a cataclysm that wipes out biological life, which is possible, but you're saying the extinction of what it means to be human. Humans. Extinction of yes, humans. and and the deliberate right. uh, erasing of boundaries on the notion of, of humanity post-humanism. They're saying Absolutely. openly. Uh, the, the AI people are saying openly. They will create God. Uh, they will abolish humans. And I just cannot understand how many people are not willing to take them seriously. And I do because I've been studying this. I remember uh, going back to the the. Early seventies, when I was really interested in what Arthur C. Clarke was saying about merger and machine, merger of, of man and and humans and machine, right. I took them seriously. People say, "Well, you don't understand about technology," but no, the, the problem is I do understand about technology. Yeah. And I take them seriously. <laughs> that, that's what what I have been working on to try and understand what all this regulatory system is about, what the global rules are about, what they're doing, what the objectives of international legal firms are. What the game is, and game is is an important word. It's interesting that Elon Musk's ex-partner wrote a song about Elon Musk talking about the great player of games. There's a great game going on. What people don't understand is the game is for their consciousness and their eternal soul. This is what I believe in. I, I believe this is what, 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 what they are. Instead of playing games, I, I'd advise young people to notice the big game that they're involved in because... They're the objects of the game. Uh, so, but again, I'm, I'm not saying that in a depressing way. Ultimately, in the end of all this. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Not yeah, depressing. Yeah, yeah. No. Ultimately, in the end of all this, the people that commit to their spiritual consciousness will triumph. There may be a lot of losses, but they're not going to lose individually. 
and the ultimate spiritual triumph will happen. So, so that's going to happen. It may be grim before that, but what people don't want to do is to trade their soul in before that. that, that, that that's right. so. Doesn't that image, is, yeah? But doesn't that image just in even to bracket that the uh, like the human and the you know the ability to try and stay human? But Michael and James, like we had David Bentley Hart on, that kind of reflects on the issue of apox, you know, apocastasis, if you ask me. You know that. You can look at things in one way and say there's there's no hell, you know, if there's a God. But even for the, the mental states I've seen some people live in, which is a form of death and isolation. And Blake said, you know, to find eternity in a grain of sand and so forth. But, you know, you can find eternity in a moment. And I, I know people in hell. And uh, this notion that the future, almost on this plane, not this idea of going to an afterlife, you still have this division, you know. Um, it's just... Do you see connections between us? I, I, I've become kind of more convinced in this idea of a kind of self-perpetuating hell, of a reality of persistence. And this is actually crucial if we, we want to talk about faces and what C.S. Lewis said. Mm -hmm. It's a very revealing mm -hmm. idea that he has in when he wrote about that. Um, but um, perhaps I can sketch out a, an idea. that There's just three things that have been on my mind, which kind of... I think fits into the discourse, I hope fits into your discourse, and that I'd like to put out there as a hypothesis. So in this context, I'm talking about my hypothesis from a uh, from a personal perspective, how I read it, because artists read things differently, as you, you well know, mm -hmm. that they look in the context of reading signs, it's a different language. So when Michael uh, is teaching about literature, there's motifs and ways of reading and hermeneutics and a whole lot, when we come to visual symbols, we're in a different order altogether, and people don't understand them. So, in the last particular, well, well, since I was a kid, but in, in an intensive way, in the last twenty years, I've been trying to read the symbols as well, and they bring me to a different place than I would do if I come to a textual analysis. And curiously, uh, I come to some of the same places like that uh, Guido Preparata does by a different route, but I know that there's <laughs> there are the right places to look in. So it's, it's like a number of uh, dogs in a pack, if it's on a hunting context, yeah, right. they know that the fox is in one place. <laughs> That's interesting. Guido's kind of getting like popular. That. There's lots of other videos about him now, and he often mentions the Regeneration podcast. But yeah, I yeah. see you guys as barking up the same tree. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> appropriately barked. Um, so there's three elements to it. If, we, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to go to the, the school. The school, uh, we can we can stop after that, perhaps the 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 face and the head and what that means in in my view so there's a great there's an interesting element to me when i i've just finished a book on on myth and ai and the mythic aim of ai and i've been fascinated with the the, the, the way they're using all these people elon musk and that are, are putting up a whole camouflage of of mythic explanations for ai when I, of course it came out of the military industrial complex and that's why they're doing so but they're all they're all talking about magic and that, but they're also very interested uh, in magic. And we can see this in particular Arthur C. Clarke. And he traces, if you, if you look at a story he, he did, I remember Babylon, he traces the implication is that his motivation goes back to the Bible and Genesis and the effort to establish Babel or, or the effort to, uh, to deny the power of God by establishing a, a one world, if, if you like. So symbols are very, very important. And the symbol that is of utter importance in this is the skull. Now, we kind of think 
we know what the skull means, what the symbology means. Uh, it, it seems to be self-evident, but sometimes we don't always think deeply about it. So there's a dark side and a positive side to it. The dark side goes back to Babylon, and we can link up to modern context, the Skull and Bones Society, for example, mm -hmm. uh, Kerry and, and Bush. More they're, than that, they're, yeah. in, they're in a continuity back to Babylonian magical practices. Now, um, before we, we start getting caught off, I'm not saying, uh, you know, historically true, true, true a continu continuation. But if we go back to Babylon and look at the researchers that have written about Babylon, that they describe the use of skulls in order to contact the dead, classic necromancy. So once you had the skull, you had a power over the, the spirit or connection with the spirit. Now, this was the same as in Western in Western context, where you know the, the Celts focus on the skull and the power of the skull. Mm -hmm. We have the celebration skull. In, in the northern context, which is school, probably drinking out of the school. So, the, so, so, so it was clear that the, there was power in the school. And if you had control over the school, you had control of the person. Not just in this life, but probably in the afterlife. And if we look at the Tower of London, it's built on a hill where the school of Bran, the giant, was. And I, I don't know. I can't find the etymology of the word brain. I wonder if, if it's linked to that Bran. But this, was, this school was planted on the, the hill to protect Britain. Uh, in a magical practice, so they had magical power. So this is this was clear to the Celts, and it was clear to most cultures. So the the the, the point I was making about Elon Musk and that is that if they say, "Oh, Christianity is, is nonsense," doesn't it, doesn't you know it's, it's it's a myth? The irony is that it places a higher obligation on them to explain why this is the greatest story ever told and why the myth is so persistent. This this is I follow. A, a, mm -hmm. This is the paradox that's that's not there. Instead, they're fascinated with Prometheus, and the myth. You know, as you know, the, the, the Prometheus, as far as I I know, hasn't appeared to anybody. It hasn't. There's no great doctrine associated with Prometheus. All it is is a, is a license to to use fire and energy. You know, without without considering the risk, basically, as far as mm -hmm. I can see, in many senses. So this is a key myth that they use but they deny the significance apparently uh, of the christian myth if you like which I, I i don't i don't believe that uh the christian story is a myth and i, and I accord with what c.s lewis said that it's a true myth a myth that actually happened where it has mm -hmm. the, uh, the element but if we look at the myth or the story and we look at it from an artistic perspective there's one symbol that comes out. I've talked about Golgotha with Jeff on, on New Thinking Aloud, so a continuation of that. Okay. Uh, and what that means from a Steinerian perspective. But one thing that, that, that I haven't talked about uh, in that context, have elsewhere, but is the power of the, of the myth of the school or the, the significance of the school. We can see this anticipated in Plato's cave, if you like, and the idea of being uh, inside and coming out. Um, but if you were a child reading and presented with the story in a proper, as a story form, you couldn't fail to understand or see, if you look at the pictures, the, 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 the significance of the school in this story. Now, it's not just me that thinks that. If you look at what Philip K. Dick has written about the crucifixion, he's written a short story called The School. So he, the point being that his intuition brings him to the idea that the school is the crucial issue. And he wrote, a, it's, on, it's on the internet, it's very short. 
I'd recommend to people to read this quote. It's a very My good Philip K. Dick. Sorry, yeah. 1958. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, but it's very interesting. Um, if you look at General Gordon, when he goes to, in the kind of Protestant reclamation of the Holy Land, and he's looking for the uh, tomb of Jesus, he's going looking for something associated with a skull, and, and that leads him to the garden tomb because there's a hill that looks like a skull. His instincts were right. Both of their, their cases, for me, according to the signs of like a Jacob Burma way, you should be looking at this school because, of course, uh, we have Golgotha, the place of the school, place of the schools, Calvary, Calvarium, uh, or Cranion in the Greek. It's all pointing towards the school. And there's an extra mm -hmm. dimension. If we look through all medieval art, there's always often a school underneath the cross. What is the yep. school? It's Everybody's the school seen it. Adam or the school of Goliath. So the, 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 we have the stories that both of their schools uh, are, are under this. So this is a continuity as well, looking forward or backward and forward from Adam to Goliath uh, to, G to, to Jesus. Now, of course, the story of Jesus has an extra dimension. We have escape from the, the hill of the school. We have the implication that the spirit transcends the mortal form and here we have this symmetry that runs throughout history of a of a counterpoint between the skull and the triumph over the skull if you like as death and we have uh, the use of the skull as the symbol of power so this the the negative side of the skull going back to Babylon, power, yeah. magic sorcery up to whatever well, you like skull and bones you, you, through the French Revolution, we can talk about the head a bit more, a little bit, bit, bit separate. But the power over the over the skull is seen to be a symbol of the domination of the capture. We see it in in Ireland. The you know uh, Humphrey Gilbert, after you you were beaten when the, when they they raid your village, they decapitate uh, your family. They stick their heads outside a tent. So when you're going to negotiate, you're passing by the schools of your your family. Um, another interesting element of that, of course, at that time, or, or we look to the time of Roger or Robert Boyle, the scientist, is that there was a big trade in skull moss. Uh, it was a medical preparation. So they, they scraped the skull off the moss and they, they grind down the skulls to use in medical preparations. It's written about in, in the scholarship about cannibalism. Uh, and this Robert Boyle, etc. And they didn't have to worry at that time about the supply because it was always loads coming from Ireland. So this is a this is a deep, deep, a deep, deep negative aspect, if you like, of this goal. Mm -hmm. So when I come to interpret this this uh, this uh, element today of, of the penetration of the skull, the physical penetration of the skull and transhumanist, it's in the sorcery, it's in the sorcery side, the yeah. sorcery side of things. And there's other funny things about about Golgotha, apart apart from the name, even if we look at the the, the, the about consciousness, uh, for me, Jesus and the robbers, uh, the right side and the left side, it's a prefiguration in many ways of what Ian McGilchrist has talked about. Interesting. One yeah. robber says, "Prove yourself." Show it. The other guy says, "Well, I, I believe." And that that's right. That's the right brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, uh, I hadn't really thought of that. Nice. That's wild. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. If you, uh, there's an interest, another connection, uh, the Tau, for example, I, I, I have a kind of belief about the significance of the Tau cross, the T cross. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and the reason why I would I would think about that is because it's it's another shape on the sutures of the skull is it is either the shape of the body of Christ or a cross. And funnily enough, in the science context, the latest developments in relation to proteins in the brain that I think are, are fundamentally important in, in from a physiological perspective in the control of consciousness in the in Alzheimer's are the they've called them the tau proteins. It's kind of kind of a a remarkable thing. So what is kind of happening is that the symbology of Golgotha from the school perspective, I believe, this is my personal belief, is the symbology of the end of Catholic times. Now, coming up mm -hmm. to, two, I believe, if we're looking for dates, you would you'd want to look at 2000 years after the, the, the guesstimate of the death of Christ as the time when if you're an anti-Christian, you would decide, well, that's a nice, nice time to finish uh, the Christian era, which is clear that the Christian era is. You know, Do you see this dovetailing pretty closely with the movement from Pisces to Aquarius? Uh, I don't see it. I, I don't look at it in those terms, but certainly mm -hmm. that, that there are readings there that corroborate it from um, mm -hmm. a different. The reason why I, I don't talk too much about it is I don't know enough. I've read it. I can read second hand, but it's not something that. Yeah, that I, I I particularly, uh, but the, the but the fish, the fish, is a critical symbol of the brain, as we see mm -hmm. in the salmon of knowledge. Uh, it's it's a critical link that goes back to Irish legend with knowledge with intelligence. So so it's a different, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's a different movement and an instantaneous increase in intelligence in a mythic way that that is prefigured. So 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 that connection is there, the salmon of knowledge and all that. So which would be another symbol of a different type of knowledge. Um, but um, certainly, certainly it, it could be corroborated. By so you're it. saying a once in every 2,000 years kind of transformation? Uh, no, I'm Am saying, I that? No. I'm saying, no, no, I don't put it in cyclical, I don't see the right. world in the same cyclical ways. What I'm saying okay. is that either if you take it as a myth mm -hmm. or if you take it as a divine intervention, the story is speaking to us now. The I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, are now and that, that's why we have to okay. to look at the symmetry the symmetry is critical you made that clear that's good yeah so um there's another another so so when I, so when i'm looking at, at what's happening in relation to brain research and particularly the control of the brain and control of consciousness which is what i'm concerned about i'm finding strange parallels that are suggested in the biblical in, in the crucifixion and in golgotha which suggests to me that it was anticipated it's an anticipation of the end of the Catholic Christian times. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pointing to what happens at this point when a fork comes in the road, where you either choose spiritual consciousness or you choose, well, effectively the road to hell, the road to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to assimilation, to giving up your soul. Or almost like Michael's house church, you know? What are you hearing, Michael? Uh, well, I think, well, just... What I what I hear from from James right now, I mean, I, what I keep thinking about is these kinds. We can call them occult forces, or we can call them the World Economic Forum, <laughs> or the WHO. Uh, I like your series of <laughs> tweets for the last week. He's just oh. demanding that somebody somewhere, just in the church, announce something bad about one of these organizations somewhere. Yeah, well, no, I just want you know, I. It's really funny. I, you know, I always hear it from the Ortho Bros, right? And I said, okay, well. 
show me one example where the Pope or any of the Eastern <laughs> yeah. called out the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates or all the other criminals, but, and they can't find one example. It's really funny. There is because there isn't any. But, no. but anyway, to what I what I hear from from James and I and, and these guys know exactly what's going on. So if and they anticipate like James is saying, Agenda Twenty Thirty. Well, they know that's Agenda Twenty Thirty is trying to head off that Christ impulse at the pass. And similarly, um, was it a year and a half ago, when there was this uh, intense conjunction, or in a square, well, it was a conjunction for me, but it was a square from Saturn to Uranus, which is happened right around the time that the Ukraine war started. And I was looking at it for months ahead of time and thinking, well, this is where something weird is going to happen. And the thing is, those guys, they, they did their homework. They pretend they don't they don't study these things on the ground, but they do. So they always they always try to anticipate what's what's going to happen and uh, finesse it to their advantage. Right. I like how when how one thing is when works. James. James always writes a list when when one of us speaks because he can always make yeah. connections. Okay. I just wanna I just wanna add like sometime add in the middle of it like meatball sandwich, um, tube of toothpaste, and then James will still bring all that stuff in, you know. But I, I saw you writing away, James, and I Michael said yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, one more point, which is interesting mm-hmm. and maybe crucial, is, and this this is a remarkable symmetry in my head. You know, people might call me mad. I don't really care. I'm going to start telling people what I, I believe to be the case. Um, if you look at what Blake, an aspect Blake chose, again, these people have a, a key in, in, intuition. He, he chose, or one of one of his key uh, engravings or whatever it was, was uh, of the drawing of lots for, for, for Christ's garment. Right. Uh, now, this, uh, again, independently, I was focused on that because I, I never really got what was significant about that in a kind of mythic or a religious sense. What is that? This see, The point being that in all of these stories, there are unfolded obvious things that we don't pay attention to. So I'm, I, I, I was looking, when I was looking back again about the correspondences between the, the front and the end, uh, like in 1863s and, and 64, mm-hmm. Syllabus of Errors, 1963, and Pat and Terrace. And if you look at actually John Twenty-Third. Pat Jam and Terrace, that's really the globalist agenda. If you look at it, I've looked at it, read the encyclical again from the perspective of C.S. Lewis and Scientocracy and tell me that that's really inspired by God. I I, I don't, I, I I can't see it. Read it again, bearing in mind what what um, C.S. Lewis has written about Scientocracy and and you can you right. can see a- Where do you think C.S. Lewis's best writings on Scientocracy is, James? For the listeners uh, uh the that hideous strength is a critical okay, right, right. fairy tale but till we have faces and we have to come back to that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah, yeah but anyway so the seamless garment so they're what the, the, why are they drawing lots because they didn't want to separate this seamless garment now the seamless garment as it happens uh it be- it's believed that the true seamless garment of course we know there's loads of debate about these things ended up in Germany. So there's a, a thing claiming to be the seamless garment that people revere. And where is it? It's kind of remarkable. It's in Trier. Now, what's Trier significant for? It's where Karl Marx was born. 
Mm. It's, a, it's a it's a curious it's a curious kind of one of these correspondence. You know, you might think that's fanciful, but anyway, what's important about uh, about that? What is it called in the Greek? The Greek for the the seamless garments is chiton, C H I T O O N. So this is the same word for the substance chiton, the exact same word, which just I is changed, that is the, derived from insects that they are using for tissue engineering, and which I believe and suggest is going to be available in the human body for them to experiment on us. So insofar as it may be indigestible, whatever, by, by the body, it will be available to re-engineer the human body without our consent. So the chiton of the seamless garment has a deeper significance. It corresponds in an odd way with this chiton, which is called because that because it's the garment of, of the clothes, of the carapace of crabs and things like this, that we're taking into our human body in this great yeah. movement towards uh, you know, insectification and different foods. Uh, to me, this is a, if you like, a, a warning from, from the originals, myth or story. It's telling us that this is the thing to look at. Uh, and, and mark my words, you will see more about the dangers and use and application of chitin in the body, which can be activated uh, in some way or used to change the body from inside. That, that, that's and where where are we getting our chitin again? Uh, we'll be getting I, from your insect food that they're going to okay, feed yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, foods. Like they're already when getting they... some some food products that, but they 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 have, you know, fancy yeah. names that you don't unless you know what they're talking about. You'll just think, oh, that's like riboflavin, but it's yeah. actually insect. Yeah. So they're going to they're going to get rid of the kulaks like Michael and that in the next few years, or Bill Gates <laughs> going to give him a few bob and he's going off to the Caribbean alternatively, or you go to the prison camp or whatever, God forbid. But they're going to get rid of these guys. So your choice of what you're going to eat is going to change radically as we move in. And if you remember the world of flesh and the devil, Bernal said that those that didn't want to change, they could be experimented upon, and that curiosity would override humanity. He said that a hundred years ago. It's nothing new about this. There's nothing. Uh, fanciful or by chance um, right. as well as it, it's interesting they're talking about one of the guys that wrote I Cyborg I Cyborg uh, he he said and it's quite a while ago now he said that the people that won't change they will be the chimpanzees of the future hmm. now in 1860 Charles Kingsley described the Irish as the white chimpanzees so right. in the future not only are we going to be chimpanzees white chimpanzees but the white will be negative as well when it wasn't that's worse post-humanism is not intended to liberate in in the way that they say it's intended to bring us down to to a lower level oh um, totally and, agree. And, and and i i don't so in, in relation to guido's um instincts uh i agree with that so the long and yeah. the short of that and i could go on about that is that i believe that the crucifixion golgotha the story, in whatever way you want to interpret it, speaks directly towards the an imminent crucifixion that the human body is going to experience in a cosmic way. The entire uh, uh, the entire human race. We can see this even even the symbology. If you look at it, and and Michael as well from your reading of literature, in one flew over the cuckoo, uh, pre, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest right. mm -hmm. when. 
when Randall McMurphy is on getting the electroconvulsive therapy, they describe it as a crown of thorns. And that's yeah. a quite perceptive, you know, artistic uh, reading of it. I've he, always he thought the same thing. It kind of blows me away right. every time. And also, yeah. who developed those? Who developed that medical therapy? It was the cyberneticians did. Gray Walter and that, the guys that are experimenting with the tortoises. He was the one that made some of these advances on that. It wasn't for any therapeutic purposes. It was for mind control. There was no other. And, and, and books, the cybernetic mind, I think, uh, elaborates on this. The cybernetics and, or, and psychiatry were fundamentally linked in, in the thing. So it's not about, uh, it's no for no other purpose than, than the control of the human mind. These, these things started, mm -hmm. in my view. In summary, on the skull, the skull is a critical symbol, and the control of the skull is, is, is a critical symbol. And an example, which I put on the negative side, Taylor de Chardin, look at what he's doing. He's, he's, he's holding up the skull and saying, this proves where we come from. What is, what is he involved in? He's involved in the pit-down hoax whether he directly was involved in that or not, but he was involved in what is a classic hoax in science with the mm -hmm. so-called finding of this school in 1912. He was involved in the finding of Peking Man, the school Peking Man. Uh, now, this was used by the Chinese nationalists at the, you know, in, in the encouragement of communism to show that really man came from, from, uh, from here in China, in that place in China, and that no connection with any divine things. Uh, and it was very, very significant. Where did the, that evidence go? It disappeared. Hmm. It was gone to America. It disappeared. The, the Rockefeller-funded research, Taylor de Chardin, again, the school is, there's a, there's a battle for control on truth over the control of the school. This is the way the magical mind is approaching this issue. So, so again, kind of like Michael... He contrasts Sophia and Ariman. You're going to contrast the skull with the face. It sounds like, or no? Um, there, there's two elements. One, the first bit is that uh, the story from Golgotha shows us that there's a full acceptance of incarnation, uh, but it transcends that. It's this. Uh, it's the container, and so yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. some of the Holy Grail stories. There's a suggestion that. A grail represents the skull. You know, again, there's, mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. a well, Michael knows all that literature, but that's more recent. But there's there's, a, there's an interesting symbol uh, in that. But what I'm saying is, the skull is not a bad symbol, but it is the symbol that you focus on from a left mm -hmm. brain controlled function. And of course, the skull is inexpressive; it yeah, doesn't right. change. It continues mm -hmm. in the thing. But if if you see the human person in a particular way, you will believe that controlling their skull is the is is the key yeah. thing yep. to control yep. their spirit that, that's the context the mm -hmm. uh and the, the it's not a rejection of the physical form because we know i believe that the key thing in the christian story before then is of incarnation <laughs> and the mm -hmm. vindication and significance of embodiment the thing that post-humanists claim they're celebrating but they're not doing doing that yeah. i believe that before that the message of the life is about the significance of being embodied. Uh, Do you stretch uh, any of this to the skeletal structure in general? You know, because I'm thinking of uh, the contrast for Ivan Illich too, between the church as it, you know, the skull could be the shattering of the skull 
versus the church as she, kind of the mystical body. It doesn't have, you know, clearly delineated boundaries and so forth. But I'm looking at other things that kind of map on decently when we're looking about where we are and where we're going. Well, certainly, uh, it may come a bit more to the to the living in, in the head bit. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about that in a minute, which comes to that and it comes to the uh, issue. <clears throat> well, I mean, Steiner talks about there's a necessary aromatic bit and that the you know, the, the, the body is the kind of uh, the aromatic bit controlled or the bones and, uh, and that. So he does talk about that. So it's not as if everything is bad about the, mm -hmm. uh, about the, uh, the body. And it's certainly yeah. not a rejection of the school. It's a rejection about the interpretation of the school. But that's there. And so well, yeah. what I'm saying is that that motif vindicates the relevance of this story, whether one sees it as a myth or divine truth. There's a mm -hmm. remarkable story in that that tells us about the next 2,000 years. It really gotcha. tells us about what the battle is. So we know what, what what's going on, at least. There is also, uh, going back to Genesis and uh, the Garden of Eden and the snake and the idea of bruising the head and bruising the heel, and that comes into it. But the second bit, if I go, uh, go uh, perhaps I go on to the face. Is there anything else uh, on, on just... Michael? Again, I could go on for hours on that. Oh, just, I was just saying, I can't help but think of this book right here, The Redemption of Thinking Yeah, by Rudolf Steiner, which which is about, actually, this was put out, believe it or not, which is weird for Steiner. It was not published by an anthroposophical press. It was published by Hodder and Stoughton. Huh. So the British, I think they go back to the 1800s, early 1800s. And in his book on on Aquinas, but also his understanding of the mystery of Golgotha. What what one of the things that the crucifixion of, of Jesus did, and the, when the blood touched the earth, is it made the the possibility for imaginative thinking. Right. To that's why it's the redemption of thinking. It starts with 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 Golgotha, and that's what Steiner interpreted. Aquinas is doing is continuing that, and 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 and, a, and I think what we see right now was James has been talking. You know, part of what you know, one of the many dangers of uh, the internet or especially social media or getting your information from the archons is that it. And I see this in students. They've gotten really stupid in the last decade. <laughs> you know, they don't. They don't have. They're, they have undeveloped brains because they don't ha they don't play as children. They don't imagine. They their imagination is uh, ex uh, externalized into video games and th things like that or films. But they don't know how to how to imagine and play, and which makes it easy for them to be prone to propaganda for one thing. But also they can they're they're prone to any kind of mind control because. It uh, and it's not just them; it's everybody. But especially, I see it especially in the young because I've been spent so much time with eighteen and nineteen year olds in my, my last thirty years. Um, is there? It's a very different right now because they they don't have that capacity, and this is a, a word Steiner uses all the time: capacity for imagination. Not like they used to. I mean, there's you still find one here and there, but it's. And if you look, you can tell because if you look at um, 
the poetry and not just poetry, but the writing from 100 years ago or even more. There is much more imaginative heft into much of the writing um, than, you, than you're going to see right now, which has become more kind of um, homogenized into a, like a really narrow. Yeah, there's been a flattening out, you know. Yeah. Flat, flattened and homogenized. And, uh, and, and I, and I'm looking forward to see where, where James goes with this. But part of what yeah. I, I keep thinking about in this conversation is, you know, what, what I call in the submerged reality a poetic, poetic metaphysics or an awakening of an imaginative thinking, which is to me seems the, the, the anti-pole of what, what's being created around this and, you know, through AI. And, and well, so AI is a perfect example. It's not imaginative at all. It's an aggregate. Yeah. To tie that point into a point that, that comes true uh, from what Mike generally said, he's often interested in practices. You often say about, well, how is this mm -hmm. uh, relevant in practices? And I notice you're, you, you, you make a point about why young people are attracted to traditional mass and you make a point about consumption obsessive. Bit. I, I think there's also a parallel to that, which I, I agree with, a kind of Harry Potter dimension to the magical attraction yeah, uh, yeah. as well. Um, but in relation to the practices as well, there is a there is a message in this symbology about what it is we're meant to be doing to combat the thing as well, because the things come together, and the divine inspiration, if you want to call that the mythic di dimension, is juxtaposed in contrast to what happens there. That's why I believe that that France is the basis of, of the world control system through Britain, uh, through the British Empire, but really France is interesting. Okay, well, yeah. the Norman connect historically, yeah, yeah. but right. it's the British Empire, the Anglosphere, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. really their connections go back to France the, 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 in the story of it. Yeah, the right. Normans. Uh, and uh, that's where most Marian, apart from Italy, that's where most Marian apparitions are, and I think that's no accident. There's a mm -hmm. correspondence between it. You have, that's where most battles. Uh, in the world have taken place in France. Mm -hmm. there's, there, there's, a, there's an inherent occult element. And of course, we have 19th century, another area that I know Michael is interested Last in. Lit, uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, well, I, I'm going to talk about that as well. But 19th century Paris, mm -hmm. and of course, Salome was the was the key image, which yeah. was the head, which we come back to. But um, I don't know if you want to have any points there, uh, uh, Mike, before I go on to talk about no, it's interesting you say that because I I meant to look at look it up and I didn't have a chance. Been so busy this morning, uh, I saw somebody posted something on social media today that was there's a book a new book about magic, and I, and somebody said it was just really fascinating. But what fascinated me was the title of the book. It's called it's the name of the book, and I can't remember the author is the head of the Baptist. There you go. Yeah, which is an important. I mean, Saint John the Baptist is. Yeah, certainly my patron saints. Criti critical from that nineteenth century. Critical, it's a critical motif in all the literature, yep. as you well know. Yeah, Orpheus well as well. Right? It's the head, it's the head on the plate. It's the skull, but it's also the head, which we can talk about. It's, it's. Um, and, and also, and I'm always just trying to help our listeners too. Like the, you know, when we get into these distinctions between like, and I'm purposely being a little bit reductionist, like a good image of the skull and a bad image of the skull. Some people might think of. Um, if we're in kind of an epical shift, and I'm not trying to throw this on your work, James, let me know, but you know, so much of uh, 
a certain telling of the story that I, again, see in Western classical music from original harmony to discord to this kind of circle two or, you know, Barfield's final participation. If we use that three stage, some of the stuff I see going on now and feel free to disagree is, you know, we could have, or when I mentioned Paul Ricoeur, he talked about the second naivete. Um, we can be the difference between child, you know, childishness and childhood, second childhood. But the big one would be, you know, are we going back to a return or a return with a difference? You know, that final movement, Western classical music, you know, Powys called it, you know, this poetry of sailors, departure, sailors, embarkation. And that final one is, you know, embarkation and return. And, you know, some of these, the worst is the corruption of the best themes is coming out too. Am I right with some of that as a kind of a heuristic for some people? Um, the implication for me on the threshold is that the the bringing to a head of the negative is is the force which makes us move like Christ on and to Antichrist. The, mm -hmm. to, kind of, uh, I don't want to use a Hegelian dialectic because I don't believe, sure, believe sure, sure. in that way. But in the sense that, insofar as I identify the, the failure to evolve spiritually, to live out the full mm -hmm. potential of spiritual consciousness. We haven't done so. That's caused the problems. It has fed this dark side. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we're coming to a choice that we can either let the dark side triumph effectively uh, or reassert the light side. So it's a crossing point. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the two forces are coming. It will be a different, it will be a different, yeah, it will echo a return with our field yeah. in, in, in some sense of, of, of that we can't go back, but we can integrate we can integrate and uh, and rediscover. I, I think that would a, a more syn uh, synthesis. Uh, I, I think uh, okay. to move forward. That, that's the way I would interpret that. Right. Yeah. And so you're you're talking about the face now, right? Face. Yeah. One last point, just to refer back to, and and you've talked about this when you talked about with Harrington about the pill. Uh, it, it's interesting that, and 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 to refer back to the Aquarian or the astrological context or the astronomical context. The Normans come to Britain in 1066 and Hades Comet had come. So what they saw in the sky was, which they knew about, was the long-haired star. And what I find very, very interesting is 900 years later, the long-haired stars that come from Britain to America, the Beatles, uh, in 66 and 900 years later, declare that they're more popular than Jesus. Hmm. And when... when when John F. John Lennon sings, when John Lennon sings in 1971 about Imagine, he says exactly what Klaus Schwab says: Imagine no possessions, no religion, no countries, whatever. It's quite remarkable. You know, I, I don't. Yeah, think yeah, that, yeah. These are very people illustrative. Aside, yeah. People put aside these these uh, things. If you, if you yeah. sing it, it's okay. You know, it's nice. They're trying to be good to us. But actually, mm -hmm. we have to interpret on a different symbolic level. Okay, as a face. So I started off painting and I looked at millions of images and I said, okay, well, what do I want to paint? And then I had to say, well, where is Western painting and where is inter international painting? What is it? You know, because you can paint anything, you know, there's loads of things, you paint things. And I, but I was really looking at intellectually, what is it that I, I want to paint? So I came to a theme and the, and the theme was called journey to abstraction. And what that indicated was that there was a movement in the depiction of the human face in Western painting. And it was very, very clear. 
So I started off by making references and quotations or collages or a rap, if you like, to take the rap example, that idea of bringing in different elements into a collage thing, to make reference to the historical things, to try and interpret what they were doing when they were painting and where it's going in the future. And the key reason why it was called Journey to Abstraction was because in the Western canon of painting, it was up, the one thing that was absolutely clear was that the movement in painting was away from depiction of the human face. Mm. Absolutely clear. You can't look. When did at, that when did that trajectory move, start moving in the opposite direction? Uh, Presumably no, there was a movement to and a movement away. It, it was in Western painting. It was mm. it was always there. Oh, okay. Well. It was always there. And one of the the the, the reasons um, and we can go back to the Celtic thing that they had the head and, and things. It, it's in the, um, we can see an early Christian paint, but in really in what we call Western paint, well before the, the modern era, the figure is there. We can see then, of course, some disintegration, cubism, which in many senses was influenced by pragmatism, seeing things from different angles. If you look at Picasso, he starts off with a beautiful picture of the girl at the communion in a classic representational way. And then the figure begins to break up. And he was, of course, he was a friend. of When he was in London, he stayed with J.D. Bernal, who wrote The World of Flesh and the Devil, <laughs> when he went in a communist meeting. There's, there's a movement away from the figure. Um, and that we can see that. And of, we, we see a distortion of the figure. We see the German expressionist sensing that there's something, there's something coming. We see a lot of dis disfigurement. A lot of the German expressionists were seeing the world was populated with people that were injured in the First World War. Uh, and we see this gen general movement. And when you get to the American uh, painters, and uh, particularly the government funding of painters, because a lot of mm. people forget <clears throat> that a lot of writing, a lot of poetry, a lot of art in America was funded by the government and, and by mm. foundations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, the figure begins to disappear. So one artist then that I was interested in, for example, was Sean Scully, who I went to meet in Germany in a studio. And, he, and there's virtually no figures. He started off as a German expressionist, uh, but there's no figures. And he would be classic, you know, big, huge paintings. He has he has a studio there with his paints. He was around with Mapplethorpe and the Mapplethorpe mm -hmm. did a, a photo, uh, a picture of him. He was in that era in New York. But it, that was the, that was what was in paintings with no, no reference to anything human in it. Now, I came to the conclusion that this represented something else. Now, obviously, there's a, a movement away from the classic Western Christian depiction of crucifixion. Now, funny enough, um, Bacon and that, of course, refers back, to, Francis Bacon refers back to the crucifixion. He, But he's kind of at the, moving out at the end of, of the, the figurative thing. Now, although it comes back in kind of portraiture in another sense, in the canon, the figure was disappearing. And I believe that, that what that represents, it's a mirror of the zeitgeist of the controlling forces. They don't want the human is going out of the picture literally. It's as mm -hmm. simple as that. That was what the face was. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of, say, the Catholic prophetic tradition or the, the mystical tradition, of course, we have some interesting premonitions on this. And we go back to, you mentioned La Salette. So La Salette was in 1846, but what preceded La Salette was the apparitions of Jesus to Sister Marie de Pierre or Mary of Peter in Tours. So that was in the early 1840s. She died in 1848. 
Um, so uh, this preceded Salette. La Salette was, in many senses, a underpinning of that, arguably. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was in La Salette during the summer. Uh, another story about that I, I can tell you about, but uh, um, as well as Garabandal, which we, we must talk about. But yeah. in in uh, these in the eighteen forties, so we have Sister Marie de Pierre. So she's getting these visitations, and the visit visitations are saying, and and they're approved by the the church, not in uh, the, the particular or or, or the, the the worship that came out of that. She's getting this uh, the messages that there's great blasphemy and that the revolution is essential essentially a blasphemy against God and against the, the first commandment, the second commandment. Uh, so, and this is this was the thing that always intrigued me about La Salette. Why was it so, why was it so much, why was it so central about saying the name of the uh, Lord in vain? Why was that so critical? It, it, it took me a long time to understand that. This, this is what comes out in Salette. So, what these visitations say is that there's blasphemy, but it can be repaired. And the repair is by concentrating on the holy face, on the holy face of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So she dies in 1848 when the Communist Manifesto comes out. So all the revolutions, too. Yeah, all the revolutions. There's a remarkable, there's a remarkable correspondence with this juxtaposition mm -hmm. of something which is said to be the idea and the implication was that. Con now, now, concentration on the human, on, on the holy face, the holy face of Jesus, there's different representations of that in tradition from the Shroud of Shirin, uh, San Sebastian, Rapello, there's different representations. But it's about concentrating on uh, Jesus um, or the Veronica's icon the, mm -hmm. uh, or images of that. And that's there throughout the Western tradition. There are pictures of um the, the you know veronica's uh veil uh throughout western art as well um or things equivalent to shurin shroud or rappello and if you look at the proportions of many of the medieval painters it was clear they had references to some some undercurrent blueprint which probably referred back to previous things mm -hmm. so uh now modern painting a lot of people again I, I say 1863 because it fits in with my understanding, the start of modern modernism in, in painting uh, with uh, Manet and all that. Uh, but if we, if we look at this, you begin to say, well, well, what is so significant about faith? What is so significant about this idea of focusing on the face of Jesus? And that's all, that's all it really requires. And there's a prayer about, uh, about healing, you know the 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 name of the Lord, uh, the the unpronounceable name of the mm -hmm. Lord, or the you know the or the, really the that which is beyond articulation and common parlance, the implication going back to an earlier idea in Judaism about the unalterability, if you like, of the name of God, and and it's really a for me in shorthand, it's a rejection of atheist materialism. Now I apply because I, I believe it's the same base in capitalism or in in communism. It, it, that's the juxtaposition about athe atheist materialism and the denial of the supernatural. In all these things, for me, the key the key sin message is 
simply that the denial of the supernatural is not so much the other things it's the the failure to accept that there is another dimension i really believe that that's the central thing so the, out of that the, the, there's a the, the image goes to rome there's a, a kind of miracle and then we get the sanction of the worship of the holy face it's very a funny little story in ireland uh post-christian ireland the, yeah there was a a group i think they're called the, the, the holy faith they worship the holy faith or something and they had an advertising campaign which i thought was brilliant uh which i just heard about uh, i don't know what a couple of years ago uh, they didn't say anything about Christ or about Christianity. They just put up pictures of the Shroud of Turin around and bus stops and things like that mm. and paid for it. And there was no criticisms. If they had have said something, this is Christian thing, and I would have been defaced, defaced, uh, I imagine. Yeah. But the people didn't kind of know what it was. But I mean, the implication was that there's power in the, in the face and contemplate the face. And this is what, as an artist, I have always believed in. It's the same as in music, you're looking for the sound. In the Western tradition, it's drawing you to look at the face because the face is the expressive bit uh, of the of the soul, of, of the character. Uh, so the divine... Hey. Sorry. Oh, no, it's just you've seen... I'm just thinking at my beloved Abbey of the Genesee in their foyer. They've chosen to put all these quotes from St. Marcarius the Great, you know, that to the effect that Jesus Christ is all face. The face, the face. There's all these great things from the church fathers on the face. You know, the implication of this for me is that, and especially when the doors of the churches are closed, which is kind of anticipating Garabanda uh, in, in some senses. Interesting. Uh, right? If people believe in that, I want to prove, but I, I believe it uh, is true. Uh, when the doors are closed, and and you have these conundrums that you've been talking about, well, how do you, as a Catholic, are continuing that tradition uh, worship the there's an implication that the worship of the holy face is a thing that's available to everybody, you know, as an easy thing. Now, in this thing, there's a thing that people don't understand. There's an idea that it's one-way traffic in these things. This is a thing that I think is, we, got, we got wrong somewhere. The idea as well is a prayer that is the kind of something you throw like a stone into the heavens. And that. But the really, for me, the supernatural, the holy world, the uh, the higher spirits, God, whatever you want to call, they are forces that we reflexively in, enter into accord with. So it's a two-way process. But in order to do so, you have to come with something in order for the process to to happen. It's not going to come, not you know necessarily. Uh, but you 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 can't expect it uh, to come and bow down before you. I think this is very important. You know, but like we, you said, you quoted me almost saying, like, what are our practices? Um, yeah. This sense, it seems to me like the difference between, you know, so face, prosopina, the um, the idea of, you know, the personality, as opposed to being individualism, personality. It almost seems like the Immaculate Conception, as I see it, is, you know, not always lost at Eden. There's a divine sap, this fructifying force that the Romantics kind of dialed in on. And... It's not a form of Pelagianism to say, you know, Jesus needs a little skin in the game to start working with you. You know, when I'm working with college students, I'm always sitting in my chair and I think of whatever psalm that says, like, I will I will guide you little by little. You know, if we can get up and start moving a little bit, God will guide us here and there. But what you were saying, James, implies kind of an organic metaphor that this journey, and again, not like necessarily a Pelagianism, but you got to 
you know, help us with that. You got to get into the dance. You got to go to the dance to get in the game. You've got to well, take well, a risk on something in life, you know. Well, well look at look at the, if you like in many ways one of the first converts after Jesus crucified the robber. He didn't say yeah. to him, "Oh, look, I don't like all uh, how you've lived your life or whatever it is, or a rebel yeah. robber depending on on the reading." He didn't say, "I don't fancy what you've done hitherto. You, you know, that, that's that's not being good. Yeah. I don't like you. You're not the type that we want." The key thing was his belief. It's as simple as that. Yeah. This is not, not. I'm not saying that in a Protestant sense of you know a, a, a declaration of it's a it's a genuine opening up to the thing itself, and then it works on you. That's the reflexivity yeah. Yeah. of it. So it's a similar thing with the faith, and a vindication of this is I see in the Jewish American therapists that and particularly the ones that came from germany escaped from germany and went to yeah. america and were influential in the, in the therapeutic movement in a positive sense or psychotherapeutic movement like Kurt Gold, and others yeah, Kurt goldstein i think was you know okay. who influenced maslow and self-actualization i think came from goldstein and he emphasizes the face he'd come to the thing that the face-to-face -face is a critical thing of all humanity it is critical so he coming from a different angle comes to this face-to-face -face being the critical thing. Uh, so from a different angle, it's again, another, for me, a vindication because I, I'm a pragmatic cosmopolitan. I describe myself as a... Well, people say like, you know, a, a think of a John Bowlby or something, the attachment theories. You know, some people would say John Bowlby in the field of psychology was the greatest scientist in any field in the 20th century, depending on where you put your moral valuations. But for him, the whole idea was, you know, they can talk about the exact distance between a mother's eyes, her face, and the baby who's... Uh, Who's suckling, you know, and that interaction in in the smiles and the goose and that thing, a, it's our that's where we need our anthropology because psychologists know can they can't say it's two individuals there. It's a it's a one and many at the same time. So it's got that poetic metaphysics that Michael's so much about, and also you know that's the that's where all of personality is. All of personality intersubjectivity is born in that moment. You know, so the halo surrounds the divine Michael. You're no, you're getting in here. Yeah. Well, here. So, what's the main thing that the archons went after at the beginning of the pandemic? Birth. Yeah. The face. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The face. Yeah. Covering the face. Hmm. And I was a teacher. You know, it wasn't an accident. No, absolutely not. And you know, I mentioned it before. I agree. Mentioning. I mean, you know, I have like say uh, sixty to a hundred students per semester. And I usually know all their names by the third week. I forget them after the semester is over. But I remember, you know, in, when, we have, we're in the, when I see them on a regular basis, remember their names, that the, that year, teaching in a mask, I didn't know anybody's name. I didn't know what, I didn't, I didn't know them at all. And the weird thing, and I mentioned this before, walking across campus and I saw one of the students from my, one of my classes without the mask on, and I realized that my brain had filled in the bottom half of the face. Somewhat correctly or no? Okay. Incorrectly. Yeah, mine is always but, but that, you know, that's what magic is, right? So magic operates not only by the image, and this is why it's important in James' work as a painter, and in poetry, it's all about the image. But the other part of it is you faded there, Michael. Is oh, you let the, now you're back. Okay. 
but that's what happens is an incomplete image appears and yeah and which which allow which is how advertising works right and it allows the subject to fill it in and become implicated in in the what we can call it the spell or or the propaganda or whatever you want to call it right that's but that's what happens is you're going to leave part of it for the subject that's black magic also it happens in white magic too rudolf steiner you know his uh recommendation for children using dolls to not give them a doll that has all the, the features complete just have a like a rag doll with a couple dots for eyes and a, and, a, and a curve for a smile because the child's imagination will fill will do the rest but it works both ways and these the archons know it works both ways and they're trying to 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 disarm our our own call it our our, our capacity for good magic by giving us all these pre-digested images at at the same time while using a kind of dark magic uh, or we can call it suggestion because it works the same way to cast the spell and we You're saw right. this we saw this at scale over the pandemic and some people are still under the spell um i i, I... I wore a mask once when I was bringing my daughter to the dentist. I had no choice, uh, and uh, thankfully I didn't uh, wear it. That, that, that was it. But yes, it, it was an attack on, on that. And even now, we're talking on an interface. Now, in the future, it'll be more inter than face because uh, we're in the we're in the honeymoon period at this stage when they're getting us sucked in, and they'll, they'll manage that. But go back to C.S. Lewis. Some people think his best book is Till We Have Faces. Many people do, yeah. A myth re retold. Now, what is the point in that? In my view, again, we can reduce. I don't want to, of course, reduce the thing. But there's a key aspect relevant to us. The whole point is that the gods cannot see you till you have a face. You can't be seen in the other world or in this world. You have to get a face. So... This is very, very important. So there's another practice. It's another practice or idea. And that's also what I was trying to say. Yeah, they can't save you until you have a face. They can't even yeah. see you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they can't. So this is important. And this is important about identity. We have one identity as a spiritual being in our physical identity. That's our primary one. And then the other things flow after that. But if we lose that, you don't have a spiritual face. So... You're talking about moving into the the land of hungry ghosts if you don't want to do it in Christian yeah. terms, because you can't be seen. So the reason why you have to come out as a, in your spiritual identity is so you participate in this world and in the next one. So it's come out ye from among them. It's to say, yeah, be your inner self. And, and isn't that kind of like the cursing of the barren fig tree? You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, um, they say, you know, uh, Jesus didn't curse Pilate, but he cursed the barren fig tree. You know, and again, it means like unless you produce some fruit in the form of a face, you can't be seen. Yeah. And or, or the talents, if you like, sure, another sure. kind of version of it. And it also, there's another element to it, which we can see in contrast, again, going back to the Salome period and Oscar Wilde or Robert Louis Stevenson, we have the split personality. We have the, the picture of Dorian Gray. You know, you have the outside and you have the inside, uh, or we have Jekyll and Hyde. And 
the objective, as far as I can see in the spiritual journey, is to make your outward face and your inward face be the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that there is no difference. That you're not two-faced. You're not having a mask on per persona. That you are living, but then you have to come out and you have to take the consequences of that. And this is the crucial thing. I think it doesn't very say good. that you have to be a saint. It says that you have to at least commit yourself to something that is promised to you. Or again, maybe we've kind of characterized in the church a form of sanctity that's more reducible to something like a spreadsheet and not this sense yeah. of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mm -hmm. I think the, um, the, 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 an interesting feeling I have, I'm, I'm very interested in the traditionalist movement and I can see it in, it's very, very interesting here in, in, in uh, Sweden. Maybe you should talk to one of the younger people from that because there are yeah. some very interesting. Oh, you bet. You bet. Yeah. You know, but, and, and you talk about little obsessive, you know, the obsessive bit, which I think is interesting because I'll be honest, okay, yeah, I, I can understand I understand that. There's, there's another thing that I fear about it is that I hear there's a lot of converse from Protestantism and I don't recognize the Catholicism they're bringing. I, I, it's just mm. not familiar to me. Yeah, interesting. From my Irish tradition, which was more affinity with the pre Norman. Uh, Catholicism of the church. If you think about it, this is the thing that people don't understand. When the Normans invaded Ireland, they were Catholics invading a Catholic country. Right. People don't understand that. So there was two types of Catholicism. It wasn't about Catholicism. It was used. But we had Norman Catholicism, which I believe, again, is, is a critical problem in it. But the earlier Catholicism, as we know, it was much different. Uh, and so I hear Especially these people the, um... going, and and some of some of the things I, I'm concerned because they set a standard that's too high. It's the standard that they're setting. You know, what I mean, you have to do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. And I'm saying, hold on a second. This is what Jesus came to fight against. With this yeah. is what he was saying. He was being antinomian. Yeah, right. So, so I just don't get. I, I don't. So some yeah. of the, some of it is. It, there's something not quite for me. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm wanting to see a bit more. I understand about the the, the the traditional ritualism, and I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to the continuity uh, of the mass um, and the symbolism of that, and the history and, and the tradition. But the baggage that. that comes with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, but 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 there's a there's, there's a challenge there for, for for people not to become something that's not actually in the tradition, as far as I can see. Certainly not in, in my tradition. At least we had. Plenty of familiar fifteen hundred years familiarity with the tradition in Ireland before they began to jettison. <laughs> um, so, what's most? Give, give us ten seconds. What's most shocking to you on that? You know, when you say it just doesn't resemble the tradition. So, for some of our rad trad, we have a lot of rad trad listeners. Michael knows that he doesn't send them away. He's a magnet for them. Um, <laughs> but like, what if you were describing to somebody like? The distinction between what you saw as Catholicism, what you felt in your body and your senses, and what they're doing, unpack that a little bit. Well, there's no question that the the new mass didn't work. There's no question that that okay. was a key point. In, See, in I think it's part it. of this transition you're talking about, though. Yeah. But that's for it another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it didn't work. Uh, so, that, so that's one point. And what I'm really talking about is what I can see as the remnants of the pre, you know, and we may not necessarily, but I think 63 was the key here, was, was the remnants of a grounded Catholicism, 
which was mm-hmm. informed by connection with the earth, which was much older, which brings in all the traditions of. But didn't it, in one sense, couldn't you look at World War One? Some people would say, like, the, the goal of the Christian leaven, one of them was to take the Frankish out of the Frank in one sense, like uh, like the skull. There's a good it was to take. And all of a sudden we thought it had kind of, you know, to take the tribal feeling away. You know, Jesus said, even leave father and mother behind. There was this new thing. It was supposed to work over time. Then all of a sudden World War One happens and they just go primal again. You know, the Franks were just fighting. It was a bloodlust. And we hadn't been separated from our which for me would, you know, when you're thinking of 1963, was Vatican II just something after the fact that all of a sudden there was this great failure incumbent on the beginning of World War One, which historians don't even want to distinguish between World War II anymore. It was just this crazy world thing. Michael? Yeah. Well, let me throw this out. So I think what the archons are trying to forge right now, and I did see something recently there, with somebody proposing getting rid of all languages, get one language across the whole planet, right? I think what they're after is creating a kind of diabolical parody of the idea of Christendom, which is, you know, it's central control from the top. Oh, yeah, yeah. The worst and, is the crux of the best. They're doing, and I think yeah. that's why, that's probably why the popes and the patriarchs haven't said anything. Yeah, the difference between because unity and uniformity. Yeah, okay, let's go there. And I think that's that's probably what needs to die. And that's the that, legend of the Grand Inquisitor again. In one sense, it's the same dynamic. Well, no, I mean it's just you know if you have those guys are as Guido Rogers in his his most recent book on Empire and Church that I wrote the introduction to. That that's that was the deal. That's the that's the I mean it, literally the deal between the Archons or the British Anglo American Empire and and the Vatican, right? Is and and I mean I think it's just it's 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 diabolical because you know, we, we talk a lot about um, distributism, like local, you know, local, right? Localism. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that. And the thing oh, is, totally. the Irish Church forever was exactly that localist. It had a more, stronger local organization. And that's or, why I say like the Mary and the feminine dimension is always local. Mary, you know, at Las Lent shows up at solar noon, found all these local things. The divine feminine is different. All these different Marian apparitions, different springs and wells. James, your response. Um, another practice, by the way, for your students is to think about numbers. And there is a number. I don't know. I was trying to investigate recently. I haven't terrified this about uh, Akita 101 and the significance of that. The other significant number to reflect on is 137, which I, I, I'll explain some other time. Which That's the number, number that fish caught in Jesus's. Uh, how many fish did he catch in that huge? Was, that was a 137, uh, isn't it? 137, I believe, because this was the number that Feynman, yeah. Jung, uh, Pauli taught was the critical meaning of the universe. It's the fine structure constant. It, uh, it, it's a very, very important physical thing. But the symbol of one three and seven uh, is a critical thing. Um, but we talk about that. 101 is another one that comes up in the context of Akita. And the, the, some people say that it's it's Eve, zero is God, and one is, is the Virgin Mary in, in a rebalancing, which is- And I was, uh, I was wrong with the hall of fish from Jesus, which was 153, mm-hmm. which has some 17. I'll, I'll talk about- Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'll talk about that again sometime because it, it, it's a, it's yeah. a fascinating 
it's it's a key thing it's going to come up in the in the next generation mm-hmm. um so uh one what does one what's the significance of this one one world you two doing a one you know named after a military drone or whatever it was a spy plane uh one what is this movement towards one it's made clear by arthur c clark in how the world uh, how the world was won w-o-n and he he describes it in his essay he gives it away really it goes back to the tower of of babel and babylon and what was the reason why god said that there shouldn't be one language because if the people joined together in one language nothing would be impossible for them so they have taken it the opponents have taken it and said that if we establish a one system nothing will be impossible and god won't be able to oppose us that's their reading it's not that they don't Mm -hmm. believe it Mm-hmm. that's why they're going to the one not about diversity yeah, right. it's about making everything one and of course there's a standardization for computer yeah. uh, systems that's why they're trying to uh dismantle or just make gender disappear and yeah yeah it's all, uh, right so I, i'll move on to the head bit so we'll have time sure. just to finish so so we have the the school and we have the counterpoint face. of emphasizing uh the the face and again, in in Salet, the, 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 there's an implication. I, I, one point to mention about Salet, it's very very difficult to get good sources. I've been reading the original French sources on Salet, and one thing which is terrible, talking about defacing. If you look at the reports about Maximin, the boy, mm-hmm. they paint him as a very dissolute figure. I was actually camping about a couple of hundred yards from where his grave is. That's what oh, happened. Wow. Just where was that? A, Down in Grenoble or something? I know it's in Cor, the, the, the okay. local town to, to oh, sell wow. that up on the mountains. But uh, the, the, if you read the reports in the first, you know, first person in French about the people that met him, he was utterly consistent, absolutely noble in relation to what he said, in relation to his refusal to take money. And mm-hmm. it, has been so, it has been so misrepresented since and the these stuff are, are, are not but we'll talk about that again some other time but come to the head then now why this is important again if we think about kennedy's assassination there's more to it than the whatever happened there is a deep For symbolic sure. att- attack is showing that there is another force which has power over the head and of their head of state there is deeper power they're telling you they're showing you in 63 again we agree remember with that, that yeah. yeah remember the beatles for example came in 1964 which is very interesting and that was the t- same time that maliki martin uh left the uh left yeah, sure. and, okay. and said i'm going to be very very interesting it was a tour it was a tour same it was the same year that the pill became uh, widespread and critical, which I think was the the really start of the, uh, yeah. of the the full force of, of the sixties and the prosthesis element of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. But so uh, the head becomes critical. You've talked about John the Baptist, wrong with Kennedy, etc. Goes back to the uh, Salome. But where it where it fits into and explains is in a figure that Guido Preparata rightly pointed a finger to and i've seen articles he's written uh, a decade ago uh on george bataille yeah so much right now 
So, so the whole book, listeners, the ideology of tyranny, it's a seminal, again, in entrance, he's saying Pope Benedict got it wrong on cultural relativism, but it gives the, you know, that's an entrance point for some. The other would just be political correctness. But the genealogy is very, very important. Yeah. George Bataille. So, so I was following me symbolic way. Now, I've read a lot of that, and I'm writing a little book on post-humanism at the moment. But independently of that, I was saying, okay, well, if we want to see the misrepresentation, the counterpoint, the modern manifestation, put apart skull and bone and all that, which I do actually think is in the picture, but put, put apart the military-industrial complex, where can we see the cultural manifestations of this ancient thing in terms of what I have said it to be. Uh, now, of course, communism, of course, uh, comes up in, in all these uh, operations. And in Garabandal, they talk about the return of communism. Uh, and it's another story, but there's all. But I, 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 I'm emphasizing militant materialism, whether it's capitalism or communism, that they both uh, can be equally destructive, especially if we're talking about cartel systems. So the um, the the head becomes critical. So if you come to the symbol of George Bataille and his movement, it's acephale, it's the headless. Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is the what you get when you've done what they want to do. Uh, this is the remains. And the other thing, of course, in 66, 60, I don't know, 71, maybe, um, Foucault talks about the face being washed away. Yeah. The face, key. It's a key symbol, but it's also a key desire. Uh, mm -hmm. it, this is reflecting a policy as opposed to a mere description. Mm -hmm. It's the face being washed away. So that's that postmodernism. And so, so intuitively, I began to look at this figure, George Bataille, and I don't really like reading them because there's some people you read and there's something sinister. Like the Marquis de Sade or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a big person for, for him. Yeah. So what I have argued is that the totalitarianism, the totalitarian system that we face, which will be left and right joined in a technocratic system, will be sadistic mm -hmm. in a way that has never happened before. It will be fetishistically Sadistic. Now, when you go back to the First World War, I believe it kind of parallels Lewis Mumford's view of the car system, that there's a sacrificial element. I believe the First World War was really, there was a deeper blood sacrifice element mm. to it. Again, going back to the Norman thing, again, going back mm. to the Plantagenets, their love of blood, sitting in the bloodstained clothes, Richard, all this kind of stuff. The deep, deep love of destruction and application of the media. Mm -hmm. It's not accident. Uh, it's not, it didn't happen because people didn't know what to do. They wanted to destroy that amount of, of, of people. It's, it, that's the thing that you can't find in the books, mm -hmm. uh, but they, they, they desired to do so. So what is this headless figure? We have to look at these symbols because it tells us a couple of things. It's interesting. The skull is in this. The, so the skull is in this acephale. Where is this skull? It's in the groin. Mm -hmm. So the head is gone, so the remains are in the groin. What does that symbolize? It symbolizes the desire that Arthur C. Clarke indicated when in this supposedly hypothetical conversation he has with, I remember, Babylon, when the satellite controllers are saying, we're going to 
ruin America, take over the world, and we're going to use the Kinsey report to do so. Okay. So you don't have a face, you don't have a head, but you have a kind of simulacrum in your groin. It's going to be a lot, a lot of sex. The implication is that by focusing on the ID, the id, that you get the skull, you put it down, your your head, your mind is gone. It's brilliant, yeah. Your spirit is gone. And there's another funny point. Uh, I have criticized the rapture, uh, the rapture theology, John Nelson Darby, another guy that studied in Trinity and the King's Inn like I did. And I believe that it's a British imperial uh, a lever in my reading of it. Um, uh, and I believe it's not going to happen. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. But the there's a lot of talk about the end of times, the end of the world and recycles and all that. Now, I, I don't believe in them in the same way. So this something's going to happen faithfully for that purpose. Uh, I, I, I don't I, I, I don't believe it. But if we go back to St. Paul's letter about the, it's a passage that they use in the rapture. But there's an expression about uh, beware of a great shaking of the mind. So in warning them about talk about the end of the world, it's saying don't lose your mind. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes that's translated, particularly in other languages, as don't lose your head. So St. Paul is saying, don't lose your head thinking about the end of the times. Again, in my reading of the head thing, it's a number of different, you know, losing your mental way, losing your mind, losing your social thing. But it's literal. It's a literal address to this, uh, to, uh, to this context. So this Asafale figure, a key element of this, there is a dark, sadistic. Now, I, I'm not, it's, it's kind of hard to shock me it's hard to I, i'm not uh prudish i don't care about people what people do or adults do in their own time mm -hmm. i'm not judgmental on that but but bataille is weird in in an occult. <laughs> he's weird uh, and there's a feeling that that, that that comes i don't like reading much about the red more but uh, I, I don't like it and they wanted to have human sacrifice mm -hmm. so this is the father the main influence on Foucault and postmodernism. This is the genealogy. Yeah. So in it's point the correct genealogy. Out, yeah. Yeah. So I come to that. I come to that reading of it, and independently, <laughs> in the, with the dogs coming to the same place. Yeah. Independently, when I read, when I read from a different analysis, from a more internal, uh, informed analysis. From Guido Preparata, who's familiar with the, the, the literature and takes it from that internally, he comes to the same thing. And that's right. So this parentage of the postmodernist movement uh, is, is the same as the post the post uh, the posthumans kind of say, well, we're not the enlightenment people, oh, yeah. we're right postmodern. They're in the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. what I say to people, and this is not the hell thing, is what I do say to academics as well, any academics that are listening. At this stage, you are part of the issue and you have to take the consequences of what's coming in your name. When you stand and you write these articles, you have to, you will have to bear the consequence. This is my belief. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it, but a challenge or otherwise. And if you look at, and I have been looking at some of the post-humans that tell us all about their love of the marginalized and the, the weak and the oppressed. And if you look at the money they're getting, I have been looking at the contracts. And if you look at who is 
paying them on the published records and some of the money for the post-humanist. It's unbelievable. You should go into post-humanism, boy, if you're short of money, there's a lot of money in this. And the idea that this is not part of the military-industrial complex, if you don't understand that by now, people, you're really not understanding what's going on. So, I, I, And I would say that the young scholars that are fooled by some of these notions that you will end up serving. There's a big game going on. If you don't know what the rules of the game are, you're li liable to be serving people that you don't want to be serving. Don't do it. Read about what and question the assumptions. So I agree with uh, Guido on that. And that comes to me from an utterly different route. I mean, yeah, I read fascinating. as well. But my yeah. instincts force me to look at and follow this symbology, which is the sign of the thing. And Bataille is, is, is crucial in that. He's also actually uh, an influence on Bacon, which is another another question. I'm not as hard on Bacon, but... Uh, well, and also uh, Judith Butler. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is, yeah. You know, I, so, you know... In a way, you could call uh, what a lot of what we've been dealing with culturally, with gender and so forth, is really is kind of the lab leak theory from from the humanities departments of universities. <laughs> it's a virus that was contained in the universities, but it's now it's spread. And it's that's a great. Have you written on that, Mike? That's great. I don't know if I have the lab leak theory of the human universities. How about like we take we uh, we kind of call it because James, you're going to be a regular. You know that. So um, I think you know bringing it together especially you know for some of our listeners that you're saying and i see it clearly because i i know you guys both you know how you're getting at this how guido's getting this i i wondered if you want to come on the same time as him but let's you know i think having you two kind of do your things for a while we'll keep on bringing you and then like a year down the road then the four of us get together and uh, we'll see how some of this kind of metastasizes but um, I, I think he yeah. should be uh, recognized for that work that he's doing, particularly on that specific issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's complex. And I think you should. Uh, yeah. We need to hear more uh, from from that on that particular issue, just on, on that, on the significance of this figure. And what yeah. And mean. I think, you know, partially because I was just this week listening to an interview with him and the interviewer is quite good. Maybe he's listening and I forget the name, but he said he. He discovered Preparata through the Regeneration podcast and was shocked to hear our name. But the, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, because I've been reading Guido and known him for a long time, some people who don't know him so well are interviewing him now. And it's great because they're coming in, you know, they're yeah. not going, they're not getting in the weeds. They're just kind of getting the big picture quick. And that's mm. for some people who get confused by him, step back. And also we're, because he's been a dear friend like James Tunney to the Regeneration podcast, Guido has a lot of books released recently, four, in fact. One is called The Political Scripting of Jesus. One is on From the Twin Towers Through the Debacle in Afghanistan. One is a, an abridged version of his book, Conjuring Hitler. And the other one is the one that Michael Martin wrote the introduction from called Empire and Church. And James, tell us, uh, link people again to your works. Uh, and yeah, you sell some of your artwork. Again, we're kind of captivated. Go ahead. Yeah, finish up. Um, um, JamesTony.com. There's another James Tony somewhere. I don't do anything else on social we media. We don't like so that, any, James Tony. We're else. never having him on the show <laughs> ever, ever. But, He's um, dead to us, James. So have a look. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, yeah, jamestony.com. So, so, uh, we I'm hate a, that other James Tony. Just to finish on, on uh, a, a nice man I've heard. Yeah, uh, I'm and sure. And spiritual stuff. So I've got a good look. Uh, don't get me now advertising him. He goes, anyway. <laughs> Well, you have a fan here called Gullaby. You have to say hello to in, in Sweden. She she thinks you're you're very funny and witty. Oh, great! Uh, I didn't know. I don't. 
I, I had to ask her what you mean, funny peculiar or funny haha, but she thinks you're funny. Yeah, yeah in my family, in my family, yeah. we always say like funny haha or funny strange funny. We always yeah, yeah. When somebody comes home from work and they say I got a funny story, everybody in yeah. our family, bar none, will immediately say funny haha or funny strange funny. Yeah. So last, funny, just gonna make me last point, and I, and I have read Guido's recent article on insects, which again, which is interesting. The insectification yeah. is very, very interesting yeah. because this. This is another world to think about. And, and I Where did you I see that recent article? I'm not so sure I've even seen it. I th yeah, I think it was 2023. Okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, um, it's also it consistent with, well, some of the arguments that I've been making. But the last yeah. point, just just, to, just the, re the justification why you want to have a face is, I wrote about 20 years ago, maybe longer, predicting what I call the ghost post community the ghost host community it's going to happen in, in ireland that the host community becomes a ghost yeah uh, and this same thing now some of these things are gone some of the countries are gone now okay they're, they're just gone they're not yeah, going right. to come back in, in in the way that they are but what you don't want to happen is for you to become a ghost and this is literally the danger that, that that's happening this is why you have to assert uh, your spiritual con uh, consciousness. On the positive side, I was in Garabandal. I had the good fortune to meet Jacinta, one of the no. seers of Garabandal, mm -hmm. and she presented a cross to kiss. Now, now, this is quite incredible. This is the cross that's, according to them, kissed by the Virgin Mary, and and that that kind of, I, wow. I did. I found that amazing. Amazing. Why was the Virgin Mary kissed? This, this is, and of course. In the counterpoint thing, this is the counterbalance to the Judas kiss. Yeah. This is the counterbalance. Now, and the kiss of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that. And I said yeah, Jesus yeah. would work for that. But uh, now I don't care what, what what people think about about this, and I understand the dangers of being fanciful, and I'm not interested in self-aggrandizement or in advocating some special position that I have. But I was very, very conscious when I was kissing her because oh, yeah. of that to try and right. distance myself from it in some sense to sense what I was sensing, if you know, what I mean. mm -hmm. uh, as yeah. you would do in a kind of analytical sense as well, to have different parts of your being looking at the thing or be aware of it. Uh, as I said, I don't really care what other people say, hallucinating and imagining. Yeah, right, right. right. So when I kissed that cross, and you could say, well, this is all the projected thing from all the people that did it or psychometrically, or it's the power of the woman herself or whatever. But uh, I felt a very, very clear thing. So when you're talking about the word immaculate, I believe that that means utterly clarified. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Utter clarification. It's a better, yeah. Immaculate sometimes sounds a bit prissy for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah immaculate. Like doily, nice twice lace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Lace curtains or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep the no. It's utterly clarified. Mm. And what what registered with me was that this and this is the second point, another point. And I'd say it for again your students in particular. These things are not intellectual. These things about Christ and about the Virgin Mary, they're not constructions. They're not what they call the materials called egregores or what. They're real forces that you interact with. They're real things. So there was force in that. I call it spiritual light. I've written. So I, you feel spiritual light. Spiritual light is affective. It affects it. And it's noetic. You can, you can, you can yeah. 
understand things. What I understood in that is two things. One, that that immaculate force is utterly clarifying, loving, uh, of course. Uh, but and another thing, that it's utterly above rationalization, intellectualization, putting in words. It's well, I know it's classic. It's a cliche. It's ineffable. Ineffable, ineffable means ineffable. It means it's incapable of being. It's incapable of being understood intellectually or reported accurately. That it is literally a force. Now, what these things are saying is that these forces are there for you to apply. And when the conduit is opened, as you were talking about going a bit down the road, or if you want to, in mythic terms, Joseph Campbell, committing yourself to the hero's journey. You have to commit yourself in the, to the hero's journey on the path before the helpers can help you. They can't That's help great. you. Not yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, You're not yeah. going to get it. It's not up for you to decide. You don't have every answer. Or if you did, you wouldn't be a hero. You'd be something else. Mm -hmm. You'd be a god mm -hmm. like these guys think they are. So the other point is that by exposing yourself to the respect for the thing, the gateway to the accepting the inherent power or truth of the thing, well, then it's like the thief who's guaranteed to go to paradise. It's it's the opening the of the, the straight yeah. path by committing to it and saying, well, actually, a lot of other, these other things don't actually work, as a lot of people know by, by having tried them. They're dead ends, mm -hmm. they're cul-de-sacs. Mm -hmm. They won't get you anywhere. So it's a force. And that kiss, if you like, is a reaffirmation of the humanity, of the person, of the being, of the physicalness, of the resistance necessary to combat daft simulacrum transhumanist, post-humanist, and it's down to the people you have it. And the only thing you have to do, the one thing you have to do is commit to your own spiritual consciousness as a reflection of divine consciousness. And that's the starting point of it. That's great. That's what a conclusion. What a conclusion. That's, a conclusion. Actually, that's what Yako uh, Berman calls the kiss of Sophia. Yeah. Great. A great and in, a, in Tom Berg's chapter on force in Meditations in the Tarot, you know, again, if people are looking for, as you're saying, you know, you and Guido coming at these things, you know, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the central mystery of our time, I think. So James Tunney, a uh, fascinating, again, it's on the eve of, uh, as I said, American Thanksgiving, which is big. Uh, Thanksgiving and to James Thanksgiving Tunney for coming on the show. Yeah. yeah. And um, for when we, I'll probably post this Saturday morning. So people will be well digested of their Thursday uh, turkey and so forth. Michael Martin, are you eating a bird that you killed? No, but it's one I got from my Amish friends. Oh, okay. They killed it. So Thank you, gentlemen. I really enjoyed yeah. the conversation. Okay, yeah. Good Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks, everybody, for listening to the Regeneration Podcast.